Hey, everybody, Turner here with your off-week content for the Gimme the Loot podcast. Once again, we're back with an episode of The Hunter's Party, this week dealing with the episode Bloody Mary. We're dialing up a few new guest quests for the end of the year, so we should be back to that as off-week content sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, hope you enjoy us re-watching Supernatural and coming up with some D&D-related content, as well as a few D&D-related takes on the episode themselves. If you'd like to hear this content when it's current and not two and a half years old, you can join our Patreon. Head over to patreon.com forward slash GMDLcast. And hey, you know what? Even if you can't support, please hop into our Discord. We'd love to have you join our community. There's some fantastic people there. Not the cast members, obviously. They're all terrible. But there are some good people who listen to this show, possibly due to head trauma. We're still figuring that out. Either way, links in the show notes below. Thanks for joining us. Back next week with the cast foray into campus life. Thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hunter's Party, the Supernatural Rewatch and Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition Conversion Show brought to you by the Gimme the Loot Podcast, the Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition actual play podcast that has a Patreon now. Thank you for joining us. If you're hearing this uh, relatively shortly after we recorded it, it's because you're a Patreon supporter and you've uh, taken the time and money to help make our podcast a little bit better and we do appreciate it. So this week I am joined by... This is Jazz playing himself. And? <laughs> Anthony, who plays Baba on the Gimme the Loop podcast. Right on. And this week we are checking out episode number five of Supernatural, Bloody Mary. This won't be the only episode that touches on an urban legend, but over the 15 seasons, they don't do a ton of urban legends a whole lot. There's, a, I think there's an episode coming up this season that is specifically almost exclusively urban legends. And I don't even want to talk too much about it to spoil it. Cause again, guys remember, everybody remember jazz hasn't, this is jazz's first, first time through. Yeah. It's not a rewatch for me, <laughs> but it's not something that they do a ton of, of a deep dive into. I don't think, and, which is kind of interesting because that was certainly a horror genre almost at some point with um, especially 15 years ago when these were first coming out. I don't know when the movie Urban Legend actually came out, but it has to be kind of in that same rough time frame. Yeah, and they do it more early on than they do later. Yeah. Like, yeah, so like these type of Bloody Mary, you know, Lady in White, spoilers, but Hookman, like there's the Urban Legends ones are in these first couple of seasons. Yeah, they do Lady in White and they do they do this one, but even the Hookman, and again, not to get into spoiler territory, has a interesting angle to it. That actually entire episode is almost entirely Urban Legends. And, and again, there's a little bit of a, a spin on it. So mm. let's go ahead and dive right in. 
Just as usual, this is another episode that is a victim of the season one. We didn't realize streaming was a thing when we signed our contracts for music. So they are going to be swapping out some some musical tracks <laughs> again with some really I don't know who these uh, other musical tracks are. Uh, you know, there's there's almost a separate podcast. One bit of trivia on this one: this episode is actually set in Eric Kripke's hometown. Some of the character names that get brought up are actually shout out to his friends from when he was growing up and the anime episode because there is a supernatural anime have either you guys are both big anime guys have either of y'all watched the supernatural anime by any chance i have not i haven't but yeah it was on it's not is it still I, on netflix i didn't see it i think i looked for it and didn't see it but it's i'm i'm intrigued by it wait wait so are we saying like there's an anime inspired by the show supernatural or there's an anime just titled supernatural that's like related but different no there's a literal anime adaptation of this show really yeah Mm -hmm. we'll probably do a special overall synopsis of that um at some point as a bonus to the bonus content there you go yeah (laughs) let's let's let's, we'll hunt that down we'll figure out what we want to do with that for the ultra patreon yeah for the ultra (laughs) patrons We open up in Toledo, Ohio, with a bunch of girls at a slumber party playing Truth or Dare. One is challenged to go say Bloody Mary in the mirror after she cops out on not telling the truth about a boy. They talk about whether or not Bloody Mary was a witch or a car crash victim, and and say that it, when you know when you say her name, she'll appear and scratch out your eyes. The girl goes into the bathroom, says Bloody Mary a third time, and her friends uh, pound on the door and scare her. And then the dad shows up and tells them to keep it down. I like that dad. That was a real dad nothing was a problem until they made too much noise <laughs> right <laughs> you better not be in the toilet uh <laughs> yeah i i like that they um because i i think they understood in the very first scene they're dealing with something that like is very familiar and so like they kind of oh she every some people say she was a witch or some people say this and like and and then kind of also play on the like but why would you do this <laughs> like <laughs> real or not like there's no like i even if you don't think it's real i'm not sure there's a reason yeah. you can risk it right like there's yeah. no reward here <laughs> it's not like if you survive then you get you know a yeah. pot of gold right like there's nothing there is no payout for uh for discovering that the curse that you invoked will not actually kill you yeah. You know, it's it's really interesting. I've got a couple of different notes on this that where, and this is, I think, happened to me one previous time in this podcast, in the, in the recap series, where I make a smart-ass comment, and then, like, two scenes later, the show loops back around to that commentary to justify the smart-ass comment or to explain the smart-ass comment or to, or to sweep the leg out from underneath me on that. And sure enough, not this scene, but the next scene, uh, I've got a note that it does it. And it's like, I, you know, I'm not sure if that's just great writing or if I'm just an asshole or what, what the case is, but they actually do a good job of going back and re-justifying some stuff through this because there's a really terrible take later on in this. And even they go back and comment on it at one point, which is kind of cool. So, But the notes I have for this scene is, man, there is some aggressive candle flicker in this motherfucker when she's in the bathroom saying a Bloody Mary. And those girls had <clears throat> a lot of candles for a, a middle school, I'm, I'm guessing middle school slumber party. They could have been freshmen. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. No, I don't think so. No. I don't think so. No, no. I don't All think right. so. Again, I don't have a lot of context. Uh, had you know, had sleepovers with friends when I was a kid. Didn't get into a whole lot of truth or dare. I don't know if that's different from you guys or not. <laughs> uh, a little bit. When she walks into 
the bathroom. Like there's the stained glass, like there's some stained glass in the bathroom that she's like, like she's staring at the ceiling. She walks into that bathroom. I'm like, what? What is she looking at when she walks into there? And I don't know if this is a kid actor looking at a boom mic or if so, like there was something going on weird with the stained glass in that in that bathroom when she walked in. But her staring up at the ceiling kind of threw me off. Question I've got is Arcana fail or religion check fail going into deciding to go into the bathroom and do the Bloody Mary? Ooh, history check fail. Ooh, good, good. Ooh, no. She failed her deception or her, her, her insight. They're deceiving her, right? Like they're tricking her into going to the bathroom so they can bang nah, on the door nah. and scare her. Like she failed nah, insight. Because nah, it's, it's not that they're failing. It's an urban legend. Everybody knows about Bloody Mary. Now, clearly they didn't know enough about Bloody Mary to know not to do this. Like she wasn't being lied to. She was, her bravery was being challenged. She is being lied to because they don't believe it's real. That's why they bang on the door. Like it's a setup. Yeah. I, yeah, I will say in that moment, her being scared by the door is definitely an insight check. Uh, fail. I, th- I think going in and even doing it is a, I think history check is a good one that I didn't think of. I think that's a good point. Uh, so I think, I think at the end of the day, you're both right. And I was wrong on both options. <laughs> I think it is actually secret answer C or D, not A or B that I picked. Okay. In that case, moving on. <laughs> we, we get back to hush, be quiet girl's dad. He walks into his room past some hotel ass art in the hallway and we see a reflection of the girl in the mirror which in this house has a a lot of fucking mirrors shitload of mirrors in it dad opens up the medicine cabinet and grabs some pills and then we see some veins throbbing underneath his eyes uh he needed some visine he should have got the visine before he got the pill yeah that, my, my first note on this is how many fucking mirrors does a single hallway need i mean i understand opening up the space a little bit but dude it wasn't just like a hey every once in a while we see bloody mary it's like every three feet she's like oh there she is oh, there she is oh there she is somebody is like super vain in that house because from what i could tell he only had two daughters so one of them is just in the mirror constantly which i assume is the older daughter but he even stops to adjust the hotel last art and there's a third mirror mm-hmm. like there's i they, by the, and that's not even the last one he goes through three mirrors before he even gets to the bathroom mirror where she finally fucking does something he clearly net won the perception then yeah oh absolutely there is definitely a perception a perception fail there yeah because I, I i was I was going to say either that or a crit stealth, but I don't think she's trying to be stealthy. <laughs> I think she's technically still ethereal plane, so it's just him not catching the image. And my, the other note I had is, man, that's a lot of pills to pop. And this is the note, which if you're listening to a recap show, there's a certain amount of spoiler that you're going to get no matter what. But that's the note that later on comes back to bite me in the ass when, I go, when I'm like, oh, that's an awful lot of pills in your cabinet, Steve. Turns out there's a reason for that, believe it or not. I'm like, oh, fuck, those were Chekhov's pills. <laughs> So that takes us to the next scene where Lily's old, Lily is the younger girl who was the, uh, he's kind of the, the, the main younger character who went into the bathroom and said Bloody Mary earlier. Her older sister shows up, says hi to the slumber party girls and then heads upstairs. She comes across a blood pool in the hallway, which makes her stop. And then she opens the bathroom door and we close on double scream. <laughs> it was a good double scream. It felt like she was really scared right there. Did she scream? I think that's the one my son emulated. Like he, <laughs> he just turned it into a triple scream. Like I was like, "What just? What was it? Like that's that's what he's doing right now. He's just like oh, God. emulating sounds, and so <laughs> he doesn't care what they are." <laughs> let's let's hope that one does not stick. <laughs> just blood curdling screams coming from the room, right? <laughs> 
that I couldn't figure out if like she was literally like screaming and then stopped and screamed a second time, or if that was just a really weird audio cut effect. Like they were like, uh, you know, because sometimes they'll do the womp womp womp. Like if it was that moment, or if that was really her supposed to be screaming twice. She ran out of breath. She wanted to go back and really get that scream. <laughs> She's doubling down on it. Yeah. For the record, if anybody's wondering, there are one and a half total gallons of blood in the human body. So that puddle that comes flowing out into the hallway might be a little bit of a stretch, but not much of one, I think. It's it's plausible. Well, you, but that's a lot when you spread it out. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. You, if you were to pull out a gallon of anything, that's a lot. Like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of water. That's something I, and not to keep bringing up my son, but like he, he got sick and just like emptied his entire stomach. You're like, oh, how are you, how do you have this much in you, little guy? <laughs> like, you don't have enough room for this amount of liquid. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of creepy stuff your kids will do, it's like right after my daughter had been born and was just, just gotten old enough to be out of the crib and was sleeping in her own bed in her own room, but still occasionally waking up in the middle of the night or waking up before us. And she came into our bedroom and stood at the head of the bed on my oh. wife's side. And my wife was kind of half asleep and then she just hears my daughter whisper, I know you're awake. <laughs> My daughter's in high school now, and that story still terrifies me. I'm like, that's some chilling shit, girl. Don't do that. If you come in, just say it. Don't wish. I know you're awake. Like, whoa. Yeah. Oh, no so, so I had a very similar experience with my middle son. I was I used to work night shifts a long time ago. And so my wife would go to work during the day, and I would be kind of home with the boys. And so nap time came and I put the boys down and I tried to go and get me, you know, a couple of Z's before, you know, right, before I had to get back up and go back to work. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I think my middle son had to be like maybe a year and a half, two years old, something. He wasn't very old at all. But I'm sleeping and like normally they'll sleep for like an hour and a half, two hours because I used to fill them up real, real full, make them sleep for fucking ever. And I, he didn't come in the room. He didn't say anything. I just, in my sleep, I heard something next to my face breathing. No. Oh. <laughs> We cut to sleeping Sam and get some ceiling, Jess blood drip, and then her bursting into flames in the ceiling. Dean wakes up Sam and they're in the car. The guys talk about needing to talk about Sam having a bunch of nightmares. And then they look at their news clipping of the dead dad from earlier in the episode. Are they just sitting outside of a hospital? So, yeah. I was like really confused with like the start of that, like how they like what was their plot hook into this story? Like they were just like, let's go check this out. Like why? I think that's pretty much it. Like I've actually that's actually the note that I've got here is like the obituaries are basically like they're classifieds. Like they're flipping through obituaries at this point and just looking for weird shit because we haven't gotten far enough in the series to have some kind of supporting connective tissue infrastructure in place. So it really is there's not a whole lot of hook of why they would be there for their dad. It's just them flipping through the classifieds and looking for weird deaths. And it's, and again, it's interesting that you've got, where were they sitting? Because I've actually got the note is this, this building that they're in front of pops up in a lot of shows. And I don't know if it's on like the Warner Brothers back lot or it's just a really common shooting place in Toronto where this, you know, up in Canada where this is filmed. But there are a couple of other Netflix shows where I have specifically seen this building pop up as kind of the creepy hospital or abandoned building set enough recently for me to go, oh, fuck, I know that. (laughs) And I think it even will pop up again, much like cast members will pop up again later on in Supernatural. The other thing I've got on this is, oh, we got to talk about you having a bunch of nightmares. Why not now, guys? Let's knock that. Let's knock that combo out of the way. You're literally fucking sitting in your car in front of an abandoned building doing jack shit. 
it ends up being the the morgue, I think. Yes, it is. Yeah. Then, in fact, the next scene, we go in and we get a uh, interior morgue shot. As they're walking by, you see Dean make a little bit of a face at the nameplate. The guys intro themselves as med students. Dean tries to chat his way past the attendant, partially fucking up the name from the nameplate earlier. It was Chekhov's nameplate. And then Sam manages to bribe their way in. You finally got a failed, uh, failed deception there. <laughs> yep, we did. We did. We got a, a persuasion or deception failing. And it was Dr. Fekulvich. Is that, you know, it's, that, I, I don't know. That's just a weird fucking fake name to have Dean fuck up. Like, surely there could have been uh, one that was hard to say that seemed less just fake. I mean, but I appreciated it because it felt like it fit with the failed deception check. Like, it sounded like he fucked up the name, and that's why he fucked up the deception check. Like, oh, no, if anybody really knew how to pronounce his name, then clearly they know it, but he didn't, yeah. So I, I just thought that that all went well together. So Sam manages to bribe their way in. We uh, find out that Papa Bear's eyes were liquefied, uh, and he died from intense cranial bleeding, and then uh, the boys have to bribe their way into a police report. So as they head out, Sam says it might be a freak medical thing. Dean gives him an, oh, really? <laughs> the guys head back to the shoemaker house and discover that a, the funeral party is happening. They talk to Donna, which was the older sis, claiming to be her dad's co-workers. Dean questions whether or not he had any symptoms. Lily speaks up that it's her fault because she said Bloody Mary. Uh, and Dean points out that can't be true because the dad didn't say Bloody Mary. Jumping ahead a little bit to when uh, one of the girls calls him on their BS of working with the dad, like everyone should have known that. Like the they, you know, to jump ahead, they revealed that the dad's a day trader mm -hmm. and like works alone. Like why didn't no one else call them on that BS before? Like it's not even. <laughs> Listen, man, they were still hurting. They were at the repass. All right. Like, you know, no, nobody's thinking straight yet. Everybody's full of food and hurt emotions. What? But it doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was, trying to, I was trying to help. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Their disguise game is legitimately bad this early in the series. They um, they are not good at the fake identities yet, which is kind of cool that they're so bad at it. But at the same time, it's like, guys, right. come on. But people fall for it. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been in the police report? I, I mean, I haven't filled out a ton of exploding eye death certificates, but I feel like profession would have made its way in there somewhere. Um, but then again, this is pre-internet age. Like this is, you know, 15 years ago, it, they don't have the ability to pull up his LinkedIn mm -hmm. to see exactly his work history. Uh, the notes I've got on this is first off, fucking Sam, fucking freak medical thing. Come on, dude. Fuck you for even saying that. The guy doesn't have any fucking eyes. Ugh, fucking Sam. Maybe he sneezed with his eyes open. It's it just, yeah, he sneezed really hard. Exactly, yeah. It was, it's fucking Sam. So <laughs> I am also at this point labeling the other characters that Donna has hard-ass friend and sassy friend. And that's how we'll be identifying the two other characters because that is the extent of their characters is hard-ass friend and sassy friend. Right. Things aren't looking good for sassy friend. Spoiler alert. And all right. So we've talked a little bit about earlier in the podcast about Sam's empathy voice and how he's still working on it. Yeah. It is particularly fucking creepy when he's talking to Lily and he maintains that creepiness for way longer. It's not just like when the, in the previous episode when he's talking to the mom towards the end, he goes into it right about here with that little girl and then pretty much keeps it almost on for the rest of the episode. And I'm like, dude, you, surely you have to hear this. Like not, I mean, I, I, I can't be the only one that makes, that makes me just immediately think that you're wanting to eat one of these children alive when you're speaking in that voice. Cause it's, it's no good. It's no good, Sam. The guy, 
guys go to check out the bathroom and they talk about the extent of the Bloody Mary legend, how it's all over place and how the incidents like this don't happen. They question why the dad died if the girl had said it. Hard-ass friend pops up and busts the boys. She calls him out on their shit and the guys come clean and then Sam hands out his number. I was surprised Dean didn't take the opportunity to hit on random woman. I think she's young though, right? You know, they don't establish... Yeah, I think they are in high school. I assume that they were like college age. The older sister, Donna, definitely looks like she's in college. But the building they're in later, where when we skip forward a couple of scenes and somebody says it in a bathroom, is absolutely looks more like a high school. That's fair. But if that's the case, there's nobody else showing up to take custody of these kids. So, right. I mean, maybe senior in high school, maybe that's the, the context of it. They really don't get into it a whole lot. Donna definitely looks older than her two friends by a good five or six years. And that's probably just the haircut. But yeah, it's never really super addressed. They're definitely older. But yeah, we don't get as much horny Dean this episode, which is kind of interesting, especially after how all over the mom he was the last episode. And maybe that's just to make space for Sam's creeper voice. (laughs) But then, yeah, this is where the whole day trader comes up, which he had kind of already addressed. Mm -hmm. The guys hit the library. What's still going on about the expanse of the Bloody Mary legend? And they discover the computers are out of order. And I was, again, this is a situation where I'm much like the pills, which will come back to haunt me earlier. I was literally out there biting a shitty note about, you know, hey, the internet would have eliminated this. But when they go out of the way to go, oh, look, here's a computer that would absolutely solve all our problems. We're going to make them broken for plot reasons. It's just self-aware enough that it, that I'm like, okay, all right, you, you win again. You win another round, Supernatural Riders. Yep. You were going to call me on my snarky shit. Credit where credit's due. Both Chekhov's pills and these broken library PCs. Well done. Very, very fucking well done. <laughs> yeah, they're good at this game. <laughs> it's, like, it's like they watched Cinema Sins or something. It's, I, I, I will tell you, it kind of sneaks up on you a little bit because they you don't expect it. And it's not that the quality of writing is bad by any means. And again, I know I, I sound like I'm, I'm just, I know I'm just picking this apart. I, I really enjoy the show quite a bit. Absolutely. It's hard to talk about going, hey, and this is where the really cool guys kill the really cool ghost, podcast over everybody. Like, like part of the nature of the show is kind of going back and, and, and picking it apart a little bit. It's just funny how they let you walk up to the line of making that assumption and then immediately speak to it, which I think in its, I think is intentional and I like it. <laughs> so we cut over to sassy friend and hard ass friend talking about the boys. Sassy friend talks about how they were hot and then says Bloody Mary, fake screams and laughs at how freaked out hard ass friend gets. Sassy friend takes off her pants and we see Mary in the mirror. Sassy's friend reflection stops matching her and starts bleeding bloody tears. The reflection then says, you did it. You killed that boy. Yeah, I actually really like the scene. Like that whole mirror matching, that was a like good creepiness. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I th- there's, there is something about your mirror image betraying you that is, to me, creepier and scarier than that like person in a dark room that you're not aware of, but is but, but you can kind of sense it. It's one of the things that always just has been like inherently creeping me, like uh, freaking me out. And I don't know if it's just because I like the whole fact that my movements were opposite in the mirror when I was a k- real little kid. I just remember that really weirding me out. Like, why is it? 
fucking different. Why is it the opposite of what I do? (laughs) (laughs) And and I think there's just something instinctive about that that is that is carried forward with me. Yeah, it's a good scene. And I I don't mean to be reductive about the characters or the actresses with just calling them sassy friend or hard ass friend. Number one, I didn't write their character names down originally. And two, that really is 100% of their personality for for the extent of the podcast. Real quick, talking about the actors, though, uh, just flipping back to them. We've got an interesting kind of cross section. Manette uh, Pearson, who plays Charlie, would show up later in Charmed. William S. Taylor, who will show up as a detective later in the episode, uh, did some G.I. Joe, the original series work as Metalhead. Chaylon Simmons, who plays Jill, shows up on Kyle XY and Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which is a great fucking movie. Uh, speaking about subverting expectations, if you have not watched that, that I highly recommend it. Michael Teagan, who plays a teacher for about 10 seconds, will show up two more times in Supernatural. Genevieve Butchner, who plays the little girl Lily will also show up one more time in Supernatural than in the 100 and Caprica, as well as the 4400, which is about to be rebooted. Duncan Minette, who plays Steven, is our L word veteran for this episode. If you thought we were going to make it through all the way out of an episode of Supernatural without at least one previous L word veteran on it, this one came close. We had to go to a dude for it, but we still get our L word veteran this episode. And then Giovanna or Giovanna Burke, who plays Bloody Mary herself, will show up a few more more times in Supernatural as well. So we get a little bit of a repeat action in this. Uh, Yovana actually shows back up as Bloody Mary. Not a huge spoiler, sorry. Uh, the one thing I've got on this scene is, girl, your eyes are popping out. You're not choking to death. She does a weird death rattle when her eyes start bleeding that sounds like she's choking on her own blood. I'm like, mm, it's an interesting choice. It's an interesting death rattle choice. I mean, all, all the blood's rushing to the her head. It's got to go through the Throat. The sinus, the sinus cavity, it's all connected. Your tear ducts, your ears, your sinus, that, that, that could happen. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I will defer to, uh, to, to the medical experts. I will defer to the experts. That you, you, sinus cavity wins the round. I will allow it. Well, well played, sir. Medical medicine check success. We cut back and we get more Jess drip and burn. And what I mean by that is uh, Jess, Sam's girlfriend. He keeps flashing back to her being on the ceiling again, get, getting woken up by a drip of her blood on his head just to see her burst into flames. Dean's, Dean's striking out on finding out any information. There is a uh, local mirror suicides and a giant mirror fell on Dave. No other strange death. The guys are stumped. And then Sam gets a call from hard-ass friend. So yeah, the note I have is, Dave, what? I want to know <laughs> the story of that giant mirror falling on fucking Dave, dude. Yeah, they're falling on Dave. <laughs> like, wait, what? I was like, that is some super villain Batman shit. Like, what happened? Don't, I, 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 there's a, the untold story of Dave. I am disappointed. The boys meet up with hard-ass friend in the park. She tells the boys that sassy friend was missing her eyes and had said Bloody Mary. And then hard-ass friends let the boys into sassy friend's place. We bust out with some night vision camera. They get out their PK meters and talk about the case and how weird it is due to the irregularity of the trend, like who's dying. The pics pick up some ectoplasm and the boys bust out a black light and discover a name and a handprint on the back of the mirror. Was it ectoplasm or? They specifically call out that it was uh, ectoplasm. Ectoplasm, the camera. Yeah. They turn him and go, hey, there's a black light in the trunk. Yeah, right. And he goes, yeah. And then he pulls like the black light out of his pocket. And I'm like, well, 
It just, it just the way that was phrased. Because <laughs> I think he says, I'll go, yeah, I'll go get it. And then turns around and pulls it out of the bag. I'm like, it wasn't in the fucking trunk then. Yeah. They, yeah. They, I think they do, they do a weird cut there that I think was supposed to be like them going to the trunk, but they're like almost in the yeah. exact same place when they cut. So it doesn't look like anything changed. He went and he came back. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there was a cut there. I remember thinking that too. I was like, "When did? You, why would you put it in?" Because I was thinking, "Why would you go to the trunk yeah. and then put it in your pocket? Yeah. Like, just carry like, it back I in." Was like, <laughs> like, that was fucking quick. God damn, fellas, uh, where did you park? And then, of course, we get the obligatory Paris Hilton reference because this was 15 years ago, and right around when the Paris Hilton <laughs> Night Vision sex tape had come out. For our younger viewers, if you don't know, yeah. Paris Hilton was a rich person who was famous for being rich. She was the Kardashian. The original Kardashian. Yeah, she was. Yeah, mm-hmm. she. Um, the Kardashians owe a lot to Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie. We are now back at the random bench that hard-ass friend met up with the boys at earlier. We learn that the name on the back of the mirror is a kid that was killed in a hit and run. And we find out that sassy friend was the hit and run driver. The guys scan for another name and find out that the dad killed the mom. Yeah, they go and they go back into the original house. Yeah. And look at the original mirror, which with, with their pocket blacklight. Here's where Chekhov's pills come into play. So like earlier, very early on, I was like, man, there's all the fucking pills in that guy's cabinet. Well, it turns out he used those pills to murder his wife and I'm an asshole. So that was kind of intentional and is another time that the uh, that the supernatural writers have pulled uh, the rug out from underneath me this episode. Well played, gentlemen. Well played indeed. So we're back at the hotel and the guys are doing more research. They talk about the pattern, about people who had secrets, about someone dying specifically. Dean discovers a picture of Mary Worthing in Fort Wayne, Indiana, with a bloody print and a name on a mirror. Uh, we find out that this is a unsolved murder. Yeah, that, there was the uh, the old obligatory investigation check passing from Sam again. Yeah. Did they go buy a laptop? Say again? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure where that laptop came from. A, that is absolutely a plot hole. Holy shit. And I didn't even pick up on that that first time through. There's that whole big performative bullshit about the library computers being broken earlier, and then they're back with a laptop in their hotel room. Wait a minute. Don't they didn't they always have that laptop? Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't think about I didn't think about it I didn't think about it till now either. Maybe it was in the trunk underneath the black light. They're like, fuck. <laughs> But yeah, they cut to that scene back to the hotel and then they have a laptop and a printer. Holy, well, yeah, which that is no small thing 15 years ago to have a fucking printer of your own carrying around like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, but yeah, good catch on the laptop. Holy shit. I didn't even, I didn't even realize that. So I revert one of my weld plates. Um, <laughs> well so uh, we cut to a retired detective's house in Fort Wayne. The guy's poses reporters. We get Mary's backstory. Turns out her eyes were cut out with a knife by a man that she was having an affair with that she was going to go public on. The old cop shares the case files. They think Trevor Sampson was the culprit and is dead now. Mary was cremated and the bloody mirror returned to the family. And here I've got the note, uh, cremation strikes again. They seem to run into a lot of trouble with not ever being able to get to the ghost body. Yes, it's, it's, a, it's a fun little, we establish yeah. a rule and then that rule almost never applies. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, it's about 70, th- so it's yeah. about 70, 30. So what's interesting is where it'll come into play throughout the series is either we burn the body and the ghost still shows back up and we discover that the ghost isn't who we thought it was. We burn the body and the ghost shows back up and we figure out, okay, now there's an item that we have to fucking go destroy instead, which they 
to their credit, they do click on that pretty quickly. It's never like mysterious after they figure it out one time. We also then get, they burn the body, it solves the case, and we spend the other 45 minutes of the episode doing whatever the fuck else <laughs> they really wanted to do besides deal with the case, because that pops up a couple of times. We're like, okay, we're done. Cool. Let's move on. And some more of the serialized stuff later on. So, yeah. They do move the the, the marker a little bit on this stuff. But the, to their, again, to their credit, once they figure out the exceptions to the rule, they do, they are pretty cognizant of those exceptions. And that's not just, just about ghosts. That comes up with some other shit too. And they do they do occasionally revise the rules, but then they play within those revisions. Yeah, and I actually like the way they kind of did this scene as far as the um, getting the information out of the old cop. Because they kind of like... Yeah. He, you know, kind of questions what they know about the story and like, then he, then they tell him like everything that is publicly available. Like... We know yeah. we know everything that is out there. We came to you to get the rest of it. Like it's, I don't know, it's just kind of a cool way to kind of have. It's a good ask- they didn't really try to trick yeah. him. They're just like, hey, we feel like there's more. We know everything there is to know that's out there. What else you got? <laughs> yeah, it's a good exposition scene. I thought yeah. I thought it was well done as well. Uh, mm-hmm. The um, and, and this this is the guy that actually does who's done a ton of uh, as a working actor who's done a ton of stuff, but he's our GI Joe voice the detective that's William S. Taylor and that's the 80s G.I. Joe so oh, I was like I recognized his voice yeah he played uh, but not his face yeah one of the original uh, original he's been in a ton of stuff when you look at his IMDB I got we cut the high school so maybe it does say and you're you're watching it right now Anthony maybe we uh, can see whether or not it's a high school or um, a college yeah back up a few uh I can't read any words on it. It would be a very fancy high school if that's what it was. So we cut to a school where uh, the, the, uh, the, um, oh shoot, what was her name? This is, this is part of the reason why it's sassy friend and hard ass friend, because it's hard enough for me to keep Donna and Lily straight. Where Donna and a hard ass friend are having an argument. Donna says Bloody Mary. Hard-ass friend walks through the halls and we see Mary. And then hard-ass friend checks her mirror and, and sees her and freaks out. Yeah, the little sisters are 12. She says how old they are. Okay. She's like, she she's 12 and she believes it. But that's too, you know, the they're young type of argument. And this is a pretty cool scene because the when she starts seeing Mary, she starts freaking out and breaking glass. And it even does the thing where you see him in somebody's glasses mm-hmm. and goes goes pretty hardcore with the breaking glass and it's like freaking out in the glass. It was a pretty good freak out scene. I thought overall, one, it was both a, it's not just mirrors, it's anything reflective, which right. is, was super fucking creepy. But then I legitimately bought the freak out acting. I was confused on the rules of the kill. Like, because as from what I could tell, it was just, if you saw her in the reflection, then you died. And old girl looked at Mary like, 12 times in the reflections and didn't get her eyes exploded. So I was very confused on what the, the hard, fast rule on when you die is. I don't think there is one. Let's just say that this gal kept passing her wisdom uh, saving throws to avoid <laughs> the instagab effect. Because, yeah, there it is. Yeah, I like it. Let's say she kept passing her saving throws and that was it. Because, yeah, there's not a, hey, you see her three times, then you die. They do kind of play fast and loose with it. Yeah, and I think she it it feels like that she actually has to get 
to you somehow mm. kind of way because like a lot of times when they're doing the mirror progression she gets closer and closer like yeah. when she's in the glasses she's yeah. really close like yeah. and so i think there's something to that of her like actually traversing the, the ethereal plane to get to you somehow well i, th- I think it's maybe to get to your reflection Correct. yeah Ooh. because we don't see it with the dad we just see the blood tear mm-hmm. but with sassy the reflect it's she doesn't go south until the reflection talks about the secret mm-hmm. and that's what and I, but I take that back because I think Mary does talk about what Hardass's secret was as well, right? Not that I recall. No. Mm-mm. No, she doesn't talk to her. And uh, you know what? I think you're right. I think it's the fact that she has to be able to take over your reflection. So you have to be looking in a mirror and she has to have made her way through the mirrors to you into that same mirror take your reflection and then kill you yeah what was kind of cool that i just noticed is like when after they leave the bathroom when she when mary first appears in a reflection as she's walking down the hallway mary actually looks kind of sad Mm -hmm. about like having to kill her and i think the nature of like what they reveal earlier or later kind of the nature of her guilt around it yeah like is is uh Yes, it's different from kind of so. the other ki- the other people she's killing. So, like to see that sadness in Mary's face was kind of cool. Like that the kill is different. Like yeah. I have to, I'm com- I'm compelled to do this just because that's the spiritness yeah. that I would, and I'm doing. But I don't really want to do this. <laughs> and I think that, and I think you're absolutely right in how that plays yeah. out in the final scenes of this episode and how mm-hmm. they ultimately resolve it. So the boys are in the car shopping for the mirror, and they find out that it was sold to a store in Toledo. We l- figure out, of course, then that Mary is tied to that mirror. They talk about mirrors trapping ghosts, and that's why mirrors are covered. And then the guys get the call from the friend freaking out that that Bloody Mary was set. Real quick, I just want to hit on some trivia on funeral customs as far as covering the mirror, because mirrors are covered for a lot of different reasons. And I was surprised at the variety of different reasons why mirrors are covered. You know, obviously everybody's familiar with the the Jewish ritual of covering mirrors. Yeah, I, I know nothing of this. In, inform me. Uh, well, uh, let's let's do a quick tour around the world and the reasons why. Jazz would like to learn. In Ireland, you stop a clock in a death room or you may be open to bad luck. And then as soon as you stop the clock, you cover all the mirrors in the house. So this specifically, so the spirit of the dead people are not trapped inside. So in Ireland, yes, absolutely. Covering the mirrors has to do with not allowing spirits to get trapped. With Jewish funerals, covering mirrors in in a house that's sitting Shiva is to, because mourners are encouraged to abstain from daily rituals such as shaving or the use of cosmetics, which emphasizes the belief that personal appearance simply isn't important while grieving. And mirrors are also covered as a way to remind everybody that the observation of, of Shiva is not about ourselves, but a time to concentrate on the deceased. Um, the concept of vanity is shunned as this is a time for quiet self-reflection. So one, you're not supposed to focus on your appearance or do anything to focus on your appearance. And so covering mirrors helps you kind of get away from that aspect and, and to remind everybody that, hey, this isn't a time that's about you. The Kabbalists give a more spooky reason for covering mirrors in a house of mourning. They write that all types of evil spirits and demons can come visit a family that's in mourning. The demons cannot be seen by the naked eye, but when you're looking at a mirror, you may catch a glimpse of their reflection in the background. So we cover mirrors in a house of mourning. So we don't want to be alarmed by seeing those demonic visitors. So pretty, pretty broad away. Some that, hey, we don't want anything to get sucked into the mirrors. Some is, hey, it's not about you. And then others are, these mirrors can be a portal to another dimension that are weak during morning and you don't if you see them by looking in the mirror then you can open yourself and 
make an opportunity for those demons to come through. So it's a surprisingly uh, diverse ritual across a lot of different beliefs in a lot of different regions. They focus in on, uh, I think they, they talk about the Jewish ritual specifically, but it's, or, or I don't think actually, I think they talk more about the Irish side of it, but I was surprised at the, the variety of it because that was the kind of thing that, because I was familiar with the Jewish aspect of it. I'm not Jewish, but my, my wife's family is. And I was like, okay, well, let me look into a little bit more of this because I, I knew that wasn't about souls getting trapped. And that just kind of opened up this whole internet wormhole enough for me to, to put a couple of links in here. <laughs> so I get, I guess just my, the way my brain works, is that where the belief of like people being afraid of like cameras and pictures stealing your soul because of the mirrors in the cameras maybe? No, I'm not sure what that... I feel like that would be a thing that comes up in Supernatural later. This is a, just a quick Google search. It says, at first, many Native Americans were wary of having their photographs taken and often refused. They believed that the process could steal a person's soul and disrespect to the spiritual world. I don't think that particularly was tied to mirrors, but I think that also may just be slightly anecdotal. That, that actually is probably worth some additional mm -hmm. research. And now I have something else to Google after the episode <laughs> to go down. So we'll tune in for episode six of the Hunter's Party, where I have notes on why the hell people would be afraid of cameras. Or I will wait until a camera demon shows up, because I'm pretty sure in 15 episodes, something camera related pops up at some point. Right. Or something photo related. <laughs> so stay, stay, stay tuned. But yeah, I mean, cameras do have mirrors, but I don't think, and, and short answer, Jez, I don't think it's explicitly tied to it because I think it's, that that's a, I think that's tied to perceptions of First Nation people and they, uh, I don't think it was a matter of them understanding that there were mirrors in the cameras at the point. So that takes us to the guys being back in the hotel room covering all the mirrors. They set up that our victim is safe. If she stays away from all reflections, we learned that she walked away from a boyfriend who committed suicide. First off, this is a very bad fucking take for first of all for the fucking ghost I, i'm not a huge fan and again this is something that the episode itself will walk back but the implication that this girl should have any culpability or it's on her I, it just i just did not like the way that this was initially presented and again supernatural walks the take back a little bit and i'm like mm, that's a weird thing for a ghost to fucking hold somebody accountable for i think two things that happen here one they need a reason to get sam yeah involved as far as him being guilty they need that bridge yeah and two um her saying we'll go ahead or whatever like yeah that portion of it yeah is i think what they're claiming the ghost is like all right this this belongs to you <laughs> enough this counts <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> Horse. Also, what a fucked up circle of friends we've got. You know what I mean? Like, this is not. I thought you were talking about us. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm talking about this. This circle of friends is carrying a lot of fucking baggage around. Right. This ghost hit the jackpot with people to haunt. <laughs> So the guys are back in the car and that's literally the next scene is they cut over to the pointing about, hey, her being accountable is kind of bullshit. It's like, guys, I understand that they needed to come up with something that she could feel guilty for, that the audience itself could be like, okay, that's kind of bullshit. If the guys save her, it's less morally gray. Like if the girl who was the hit and run who ran over a kid and the guys had to save her, you're more likely to lose your audience. I just, I don't know, man, that's, that's just a weird topic for me. I'm not a huge fan of the way that. Uh, yeah, there's, and, there's, and I think that's other things they could have done. And I think that, like, like you said, they walk it back with the whole like, yeah. ghosts don't give a shit, right? And I also think it's it's more the individual's guilt that they latch onto, yeah, as opposed to as opposed to whether or not you were right or wrong. 
Right. It's that guilt that she latches onto. I think you're right. But where I back on that, that Papa didn't, maybe that's why he was taking pills at the beginning of the episode because he felt guilty for killing his wife. He didn't, him and Sassy didn't feel like, didn't seem like they were carrying a whole lot of burden. Right. And I think, but I think that's the bridge that gets to Sam though, is that we didn't, we didn't show it in the first ones, but like, I Mm. think they're implying there was guilt on the first ones. There's guilt in this one. Sam has guilt we can we can now yeah. ghosts can attack everyone <laughs> and that's and that's kind of what they dive into in this scene here where Sam says they he thinks they need to do more than break the mirror he wants to summon her and specifically break the mirror while she's in it and of course Sam volunteers because fucking Sam Dean is over it calls out Sam for being saying that he feels responsible for his girlfriend's death Sam admits that but then also admits that there's something else he's been hiding which is bullshit because if you're not going to tell me then why bring it up he does that they ask that and he's like well if I fucking told you it wouldn't be a secret anymore and it would defeats the whole, it defeats the spell logic that we've set up in this episode so far then tell me after yeah no, there's a cop out in that respect Dean lets him off the hook way the fuck too easy for that at the end of the episode and we will we will talk about that I was mad as hell so we cut to an antique shop interior Dean points out how many fucking mirrors this antique shop has which does seem a little bit excessive <laughs> we see a blinking alarm but the boys don't Sam finds the right mirror and says the says the words So just me personally, if you know what the mirror you're looking for does look like, why not just go ahead and break all the other non-correct mirrors to like eliminate the risk? Yeah, so Arcana fail or we're going to bring it back around. Arcana fail or religion fail? Hmm. Oh, wait, wait. Actually, if we're going to go with that, then I think it's a pass because at the end, uh, to, just to cut a little bit ahead, when they bring up how much bad luck all the broken mirrors are. Ah, okay. Uh, I, in, I, in a uh, show called Supernatural, yeah, that's that's, uh, that's probably a safe bet to not break every mirror you can. So some headlights show up. Dean goes out to check. We see it's the cops and goes out to bullshit him. Mary starts lurking on Sam. The cops don't buy that Dean is the Asian owner's son. Sam starts smashing mirrors and then his reflection gives him the nod and he starts bleeding. Sam drops the crowbar. Dean is still bullshitting the cops. Mary calls out Sam and we learn he had visions about his girlfriend's death. We get some more mirror smashing. Sammy, Sammy. So I just love the fact that Dean failed his deception bullshit twice in one episode that was i was so happy for that i was like okay both based off of names right <laughs> i didn't think about right. that just now both of them based off because he one because he got the name wrong and the other because he didn't yeah. know <laughs> that yeah. the store owner was asian yeah there's a lot of we didn't really prep for this fucking adventure <laughs> failure on the guys this part not knowing the dude's profession not knowing the yeah. uh, the profile of the shop owner this screams of like that player that's the playing the rogue, but hasn't been listening to any of the DMs exposition. They've just been like going on it, going at it on their phone when they're out of combat. You can just say Todd. You can just say Todd. It's cool. I wasn't going to say Todd. I wasn't going to say Todd. <laughs> you know, there are other people that play D&D who do these things. Who are rogues. <laughs> who, yeah, it's who, just like, but yeah, no. So it was like that, that, that's the vibe I got off of that. Like, oh, I've, Failed this deception, not knowing who the hell I'm trying to deal with, and now I failed at another deception, not knowing who the hell I'm trying to deal with. This is uh, this is not going well for me. And you know, of course, little, sometimes you can get away with that if you roll high, and this time you did not. So, um, yeah, f you. Oh, we can't, we can't, we can't GM deal, or we can't give me the loot spoilers in here, can we? Not for anything that hasn't been released. That's what I no, mean. I would okay. say, I would say, probably not. There's no. definitely a moment in which Moyle did not know who he was effing with, and he was about to <laughs> because he didn't listen. 
Yeah. <laughs> there absolutely is. Okay. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, absolutely. Absolutely. So are we going all the way to the dim bust in the mirror? Is that? Yeah. This, this, this walks through that initial mirror smash. Dean, fu- Dean just drops those fucking cops. Like, like straight up fucking takes him out. Yes. <laughs> uh, and he goes in and smashes the mirror and that's the Sammy Sammy and he corrects him. It's Sam. Also, I'd like to point out Mary's voice when she's talking shit, still not creepier than Sam's <laughs> empathy voice this episode. <laughs> and then yes, yeah. P- persuasion fail, but sneak attack success. In his surprise round, he takes those motherfuckers out. <laughs> this, this will also be, and I don't know if this is the first instance, this would actually be good to go back and double check, but the crowbar drop, the guys dropping the key weapon is such a long fucking running theme of this show that it actually comes up in a fucking meta way in episode in season four ish in a way that's really funny. And I didn't even realize it, but it, yes, it goes all the way back to this, this very early on where they will drop their guns or their, their fucking stakes or their spell. Like what? There is always a weapon drop consistently throughout these episodes (laughs) after this. It's not gangster. That's funny. Very, very, (laughs) you're stupid. (laughs) I very much wanted, I had to go back and see when they came out. Cause I was like, it, it, are we doing a ring ode here? Oh, it's very, yeah. She yeah, comes out. Yes. Okay. So the mirror smash, Mary crawls out and is extra ringy. Yeah. Like, and, and that's, that's actually one of the things. Cause one of the things guys, I do consult the two supernatural wikis kind of going into this and they point out how much of an homage she is to the ring, but it, she's not ringy until this scene. Like as you see her earlier in the show, she's long hair covering face a little girl pale hands that's that's ringy it's a little it was a little but here here's my argument against it before this scene okay her and this is gonna seem weird her hair's got way too much volume <laughs> earlier in the figure so tell me if i'm fucking wrong like ring girl like has got that it's just like that wet just got out of the well look she's rocking the wet well look Mary has got, oh, not quite dreads, but it's got some fucking volume. But when she comes out of the mirror, yeah, she's doing the fucking extra. You're absolutely right. Extra ringy. If if I see dark hair covering face on a little white girl, it's the ring. (laughs) She's wearing a similar outfit as well. I will give that to you. But I went into this expecting ring girl and I was like, nah, man, she's, I don't know if she's like, she's teased that shit. Ring, like, well, girl, like does not have. I agree. So. I agree with you. I'm just saying you, you check those boxes. <laughs> Volume or not. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Dean holds up a mirror to Mary. Mary's reflection starts talking shit. And then she melts weirdly enough. Like it's a really weird, like you would expect mirror villain to shatter. Not what we get. We get like a weird melt. I wanted eyeballs exploding. But her eyeballs are already gone, or they should have been. But she had eyeballs. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. So the other thing is they, they make the broken mirror joke. They talk about, hey, this must be about 600 years bad luck. <laughs> they broke three mirrors. Yeah. Who the yeah. fuck is doing the math? Fellas, come on. That's 21 years bad luck, not 600. Were there a bunch of, like, did they was there a, release the mirror <laughs> cut where they break all the other mirrors, I guess? Uh, the, they went with my plan yeah, to begin that, with. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They, they, uh, they, they're, they're acting like they actually did what Jazz said. Yeah. yeah, the melting thing just seemed like a weird move on their part. Like, I don't know if it was a, seed, a budget or... See, when you're a hunter, you know the actual, like, 
cubic oh, foot yeah. amount of mirror breaking <laughs> that you have to do. And those were very large mirrors. <laughs> That's what it is. It's bad luck per inch. <laughs> gotcha. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Per, per square inch. Story of my life. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hold on, hold on. That uh, that, that <laughs> Moyle 2020. Uh, the boys drive angry friend home or hard ass friend home. They tell her not to sweat the ex boyfriend suicide. Dean points out to Sam that that's good advice. They drive out of town, and here we go. Dean calling Sam out on wanting to know the secret. Sam refuses, and we get a ghost dead girlfriend cameo again. Yeah, Dead Girlfriend cameo, that was like, I would say the first point for me with this being like a new watch where I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Like, I was like, everything else has been like, I won't say boring or uninteresting to me, but like, I guess in the larger, like the macro or the, yeah, the the macro plot. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, okay. I wonder what they're going to do with that. Like, is her ghost like haunting him or is he just seeing stuff because he's feeling relieved? Like, I wanted, I just kind of want to know where that's going to go. I, honest to God, don't remember. I mean, I, that doesn't, I, I will tell you, there is something that comes up that's important to the macro plot on this and it's actually those visions so mary calling out sam's visions right is the first hint that uh, of him seeing the future that will be a big part of the storyline for season one and where it goes gotcha when that reveal gets done is when we'll actually turn around and we'll do sam's character sheet because that's when we'll know what his multi-class really is at that point so we'll hold off for dean for a little bit as much as i hate to say it we'll probably do Sam as an NPC right up before we do Dean as much as I fucking hate to say it. I just want to take the time to put out that I did the math. Uh, It would have taken them 85, almost 86 mirrors to get 600 years of bad luck. So that's a lot. That's a lot. I don't think it was that many in the show. That's a lot. On the music, the original tracks were Sugar Were Going Down by Fall Out Boy, playing during Jill's encounter with Bloody Mary. Of Ages by Def Leppard, playing in the car when they're talking about how Mary's connected all to the mirror. And Laugh, I Nearly Died by the Rolling Stones, which plays at the end of the episode when Sam scenes Jess on the side of the road. The Netflix tracks are Never Forget by State of Man uh, during that first encounter. I'm All Done by The Peasants and Bones Into Dust by Fred Herring, which are the replacement tracks, which again, I challenge you to know who any of those people are. <coughs> you know, it's funny, man. I'm, and it's it's not a huge deal on the Super... I mean, certainly some of the replacement music they've picked is nowhere near as good as The Rolling Stones or uh, even Def Leppard, which I'm not a fan of, whatever. But I am actually watching the Scrubs rewatch. I'm listening to the Scrubs podcast where Donald Faison and Zach Braff go back and rewatch Scrubs. And that, it was another one where a lot of the early music in that show is swapped out due to streaming. And I think that's a really big problem for that particular show because the music was such a big core component of that. Here, it's just funny how weird some of the replacements are. It's not its not a huge tonal problem. Also, Donald Faison has got some real fucking nerd cred. <laughs> I did not realize how hard that dude was uh, into Star Wars, number one, or, you know, D&D even. Like, he busted out some D&D shit that I was like, oh, that's that's for real. That, like, you mentioned Behold, like, you made a Beholder reference. That's not the casual person. <laughs> I mean, you're not, you're not just talking about wizards. Uh, you have sat at a table if you know what, if you're throwing out Beholder I-beam shit. <laughs> so, credit where credit's due. All right, all right that brings us to the homebrew section of the cast. We talked a little bit about this before we kind of jumped into it. I don't know that we're doing Mary as a ghost in this particular one. I think I like the idea of doing a cursed 
mirror of scrying thoughts. I like that as well. I like it better than ghost. So I'm not familiar with the rule for mirror of scrying. So I'm not sure how it would translate as a cursed one either. So a mirror of scrying is a mirror enchanted with the scrying spell. When you look into it, you can see what's happening at any given location for one minute. However, you must have seen that place or person before. If you scry someone you know, but you don't know where they are, there will appear in an all-white area. When using the mirror, you can see the creature interact with other things around them. The scrying spell itself is you can see and hear a particular creature you choose that is on the same plane of existence as you. The target must make a wisdom saving throw, which is modified by how well you know the target and the sort of physical connection you have to it. If a target knows you're casting the spell, it can fail the saving throw voluntarily if it wants to be observed. So I would say this is a cursed item. How do you guys feel about invisible stalkers? I was going to say phantasmal killer. That's it's probably the same thing that I'm thinking of, quite frankly. An invisible stalker, 5e, and then let's go pull up phantasmal killer. That's kind of the same route I'm going. It's not quite Bloody Mary, but we'll flavor it a little bit. Invisible stalker is a air elemental that's been summoned from its native plane and transformed by powerful magic for the sole purpose to hunt down creatures and retrieve objects for the summoner. Directed hunter, unseen threat. Invisibility. Nah, that's, yeah, not so much. Let's go Phantasmal Killer. Tap into the nightmares of a creature you see within range and create an illusory manifestation of its deepest fears visible only to that creature. Target must make a wisdom saving throw on a failed save becomes frightened for the duration. At the end of the target's turn before the spell ends, they must make a wisdom saving throw or take 4d10 psychic damage. I like that a lot. So a mirror that casts Phantasmal Killer on someone who says a certain thing when in range of the of the mirror like a large range i say i would say it's a a mirror mirror scrying and the curse activates possibly when anyone of other than a good alignment uses it so clearly our hard-ass friend was wasn't evil she was neutral at worst and we had a couple of evil users get that got taken out. But I like the idea of tying, I get to kind of carry through that guilt or bad action okay. comment. Kind of the, the, to me, the D&D equivalent of that is alignment based. So we say, hey, any, if you're a good, a lawful good, neutral good, or even chaotic good user, this, this curse doesn't activate. But the second anybody who's not good aligned uses this, this, this mirror attempts to cast Phantasmal Killer on them. Mm, what about neutrals? Not good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So n- neutrals, yes. Evils, yes. But that's what I'm saying. Hard ass friend, to me, if anything, was neutral. Okay. So, yeah, anything that's not like so lawful neutral, true neutral, neutral evil, lawful evil, lawful neutral, chaotic, chaotic evil. Anything ending in neutral or evil basically is subject to this, okay. this item going off and getting him. Do we want it to be a mirror scrying or we just want it to be a, re- a regular, or even possibly just a regular mirror? Maybe just a regular mirror. I don't think you need the scrying portion. I kind of like the scrying though because. Because it gives a it gives a a reason, I guess, for like the phantasmal killer to look into you and what it is. Because the way the mirror is crying, the way I read it, you know, it's like you know you look into someone or somewhere, and so when you activate the code word for the mirror of scrying for you to try and look somewhere, it's actually looking at you. That's how they get, right. and then determining what you are and whether or not you need to die. We're cool with the four d ten psychic damage. Pump it up, yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Let's kill people because no, it's like instant eyeball death. Let's go with like eight d ten. 
What is the bleeding status? Because there is a bleeding status. One more point about the show that I didn't I didn't think about till watching it this this second time when I was talking about it. They give re like the whole show and like the reasoning behind the whole guilting thing like leaves reason for like why the legend doesn't work all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's like almost kind of this pseudo like uh, that's why you can't get it to work like when you yeah. try it <laughs> like, it, like it still could be real like <laughs> it just didn't work that's, for you that's good yeah that's good. i like it i know there are some monsters that can cause a, ble- a bleed condition because to me that would be the um if we wanted to make it deadlier but not make it an instagib would be to add make it to where it makes you bleed for a certain number of rounds so you're taking damage up to then a big saving throw. So you've got like three or four rounds where you've got the bleeding status and are taking like have got a basically a damage over time effect on you. And at the at the end of that, if somebody hasn't removed curse on you or greater restorationed you or destroyed the mirror, then you get popped for the five, let's say five D ten psychic damage. I think the only bleeding condition is when you're uh knocked unconscious. Is bleed not a condition anymore? I think it is, because you're bleeding out when you're unconscious. No. Nope. It should paralyze. It, it paralyzes, too, in some kind, right? Because they couldn't move. To about in the show? Yeah. No, they were moving. They just had their eyes blown out. Once they got to start bleeding, everyone stopped moving. Like, that happened for every single person. That's fear. That's that's the frightened. Yeah, I would argue that that's the frightened condition kicking in. No, nobody rained. No, that's true. Like, it's, nobody, it's also white people on a, on a TV show. Touche. <laughs> The delay got me. (laughs) I swear to God, there is a monster that causes... Ah, here we go. Spells. Contagion. Uh, Slimy Doom, Seizure, Mindfire, Flesh Rot, Filth Fever. This is a shitty spell. I I don't know what Filth Fever is, but it's not... Slimy Doom. The creature begins to bleed uncontrollably. The creature has disadvantage on constitution checks and constitution saving throws. In addition, when the creature takes damage, it's stunned until the end of its next turn. I like that. That that part. So it casts Slimy Doom, or it puts a slimy... Same effect as Slimy Doom on them. And then that is a... What kind of... Is there... What's the saving throw to get past this? Um, Your touch inflicts disease make a melee so it's a spell attack so do we want to give him a save on this or yeah phantasmal killer has a save it has a wisdom save so we'll do the wisdom save they fail their wisdom save they get hit with a slimy doom like effect their eyes begin to bleed they have disadvantage on constitution checks and they are stunned for how many turns before they take the mind bomb and their head their eyes explode i'm gonna give them three rounds two rounds one if it's me but i mean two think of if you were in an adventuring group and your todd fucking looked in the mirror and then locked up and blood started spraying out his eyes how many turns it's three it's three bloody mary bloody mary bloody mary it's three. Ooh. yeah yeah i think you're actually there you go <laughs> three is my default is kind of my go-to because i not saying that i was balancing dots for a boss fight coming up in the podcast but i was like what's well, a good round for a stacking deep buff that can fucking knock somebody out uh-huh. by the th- i'm gonna do five rounds five rounds will take too long yeah no it's gonna have to be three. I don't like that i don't like the way that sounds going into the mechanics of the boss fight that's coming up and i and i've handed to you guys that what the way to mitigate those those mechanics are and it's it's gonna be an interesting it's gonna be an interesting uh combat yep we're gonna die <laughs> You know, it's going to be an interesting combat. Is it, is it odd that I'm actually looking forward to our first death? 
just because of like our or what we've discussed as far as like how that'll end up working? Um, you know, I, it's what you, one thing I do want to start doing on the podcast a, a little bit more is you guys telegraphing, and I know this goes against y'all's two instincts specifically um, about letting the DM know how close you are to death. But for tension purposes, oh yeah, I think because when we go back and you you listen, you guys have been a lot closer to getting knocked out than you would initially get from listening to the podcast. And I think one of the things that kind of will help, and I promise I'm not going to do anything different because if you, you're like, I got five hit points left, I think it helps kind of raise the stakes a little bit of some of the encounters if we know I'm down to three hit points. I'm down to five hit points. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that, particularly, even though that might be metagaming a little bit in the context of the cast. I think from a pure dramatic standpoint, knowing that, fuck, man, one more bad roll and Baba goes down. And if Baba goes down, this, they're gonna, this thing is going to tear through the rest of them like tissue paper, <laughs> I think is is a little bit of a dramatic element that we are, because I know, because I've gone back and like, man, am I am I softballing these guys a little bit too much? But then going back and going, oh, no, that's why I did the fate knockout knockdown tally the other day. I was like, no, that's all, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I've almost been fed a few times. I was pretty low on the the clone guy. That, that, that came pretty close. I think even the, the kind of the first big kobold, kind of the first quasi boss fight, we came we came pretty close on some stuff there. Oh uh, yeah. I like the big like the big fights have come pretty close. There are a couple of moments in this fight that comes up after the uh, again without getting exposed with the encounter the the puzzle room that you guys are currently in. A couple of bad rolls get real bad real quick there on that one movement based fight that's coming up yeah. i think i've got the, the difficulty level okay i think it's just you guys have pulled out the and that's the other thing too is it kind of makes it a little bit more exciting like to see that you guys are pulling out in the clutch because obviously i think you guys do a great job of communicating when a nat 20 hits <laughs> and man that most recent nat 20 to close out an episode i i am aching to get that published because that is such a fucking great moment and a great fight i just that was so i, I, I brought up that fight because i remember and I, i'm not going to spoil it, but like i remember calculating from the damage he had done so far mm-hmm. that yeah. i could survive one more max damage hit yeah and be okay so i didn't say anything about like somebody helping me i was like all right i'm good for to tank one more hit <laughs> like in max damage so i at least got you know, two rounds. Let me. <laughs> well, even, even with you guys just checking in with each other and going like, yep, you're doing good, man. Cause I, it, it, it feels weird if I ask. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, I'm saying it's like, it feels like I'm hunting. It feels like I'm hunting for a target. Right. You're know, like, oh, you almost done. You know who should ask? Our healer. Well, <laughs> we don't, we don't have a healer. <laughs> <laughs> So we've got we've got our cursed item. We, we we're calling it a scrying. Alignment based effect comes in three rounds. Remove curse. Is that is that enough to save them or do? Ooh. How, okay, so we've got we've got our setup. We've got our trap. We've got our time limit. What is the mitigate? Obviously, breaking the mirror will make a difference. Mm-hmm. I would I would put a couple of different layers on how to mitigate the death that you're coming into. I would say if you can find the mirror before anybody's affected, then yeah, remove curse, right? Would you allow a dispel magic to also remove the curse? So I'm talking about specifically an affected affected person. I'm not doing the cursed item you can't get rid of. I've never been... Okay. You know, I, that works for me for like cursed weapons, but like if nobody's currently suffering the effects of it and you take this thing out back and stomp on it, mazel tov, this thing is done and finished. Okay. But w- Todd standing in the bar after having stopped to to fix his... I just, does Todd have a mustache or goatee? I can... I always picture him with facial hair. I don't know why I do, but I don't know that he does or not. I have to go back and look at his character portrait. But Todd stops to fix his horns... <laughs> 
or just his hat, and then freezes up and starts bleeding out the eyes. We, we now know we've got a three-round time limit before he takes a pretty whopping psychic hit. What can stave that off? And what can cure it? Or is it, like, will they remove curse, give him another three rounds? Like, I don't know. Like, what level is remove curse? Do we know off the top of that? Well, it's third level. But I think remove curse would reset the having said Bloody Mary or whatever the... Resets the clock. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, so okay. the, if they set it again, then they would be cursed again. Yeah. So third level, all curses affecting one creature or object. And if it's a cursed magic item, its curse remains, but the spell breaks the owner's attunement to the object so it can be removed or discarded. So I do like, I do like the resetting the clock on it though. I do think, I do feel like that's a a kick in the can down the road. Does the person who's affected need to be, and I'm just walking through it. Todd walks, I don't know why I'm using Todd as an example for this, but he's the, he's neutral evil. I think he's the only evil member of the party. Walks in front of the mirror gets affected by the curse. You guys grab the mirror and try and break it and, and like move it away from it. We want to say that the afflicted person's reflection has to be in the mirror for it to break. Like you can't take the mirror away from the person to try and break it. You got to keep them in it and try and break it. Just like won't break if they're not, their reflection's not in it. Kind of tying to that her, they wouldn't have had to do it while she was in there kind of deal. I, I was originally thinking making the mirror unbreakable while somebody's affected by the curse. But I think, I think your thing kind of pans better to, theming it back towards the show yeah there's another option breaking the mirror releases an invisible stalker that then has to be killed yes <laughs> would be the other option yes oh, okay. then okay so then that's what we're gonna do an invisible stalker invisible stalkers are a pretty beefy monster it's, do, do we want it first of all do we want it to be invisible or do we want it to be a reflection of the person an entity that's a reflection uh, do we want it to pop out as a mirror of the cursed person definitely and then they have to kill that because and then you then you copy that character that's affected like you go okay we're gonna just mirror your character sheet and now you guys have to fight mirror todd and kill mirror todd to to free him gladly <laughs> no <laughs> We got a, a cursed mirror scrying that activates when anybody with a alignment ending in neutral or evil attempts to use it. They have to make a wisdom saving throw every time that happens. When they fail it, they're afflicted by a uh, curse, which makes their eyes start to bleed. After three rounds, they take 5d10 psychic damage, lather, rinse, repeat until they're dead. Or if their companions can break the mirror, it will release a mirror version of them, which then can be slain to truly release them from the curse. Correct. So, wait, wait, wait. I thought we were doing the slimy death. That is, that's the that's the eye bleeding stun. Right. So we're going to hit them with the eye, with the slimy death. Yeah. And then they've got three rounds from that before phantasmal killer triggers, right? Well, well yeah, that's the, the 5d10 psychic damage hit. That's the same, yeah. Right. So you get like the, you get the yeah. slow bleed and then the three rounds, if you don't get it off of you within the three rounds, you get the big possible head explosion. The 5d10 boom. And then also if you break the mirror, you got to, okay. Yeah. Yeah. One more thing. So when, and I'm, I may be making this way harder than it should be, but who knows? When the mirror was broken in the show, she then was able to do the effect on both of them freely. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So, so we've got two options here. We can make the thing that comes out of the mirror either, well, we can give that thing the ability to cast Phantasmal Killer as an ability. You know what I mean? It doesn't, we can, we can stack yeah. that. It can cast fant- or Contagion. Like it can still cast the spell now on other targets. Instead of just being able to affect the person who looked at it, it can now cast contagion and phantasmal killer on anybody else in the party what about instead when the mirror is broken you put a aoe spell cast of the same effect just from the point of the mirror so like 
everybody inside of a 30 foot radius catches the same uh, slimy death phantasmal killer combo if they, if they fail right and and the same and at the same time the uh the invisible stalker is summoned i like it so like at the point the invisible stalker is summoned 30 foot radius it's now a boss fight. Right. <laughs> I'm moving away from the idea stalker being invisible though, because like Mary wasn't invisible when she came out. Like I'm, I'm back, I'm backtracking into mirror version of whoever was re- cursed. That's I got you. I thought you were right. flavoring yeah. the the invisible stalker to look like the cursed person. Nah, because they're not. They're not super fucking interesting. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Other gotcha. than being invisible. They have multi-attack with two slam attacks that do 2d6 okay. damage. Like, I'm like, oh. I think it's a more interesting fight if whoever was in the mirror, because that also then gives you some ability to vary the level difficulty yeah. on this. I mean, yeah, this is a pretty beefy fucking right. encounter, but there's a big difference between putting this into something that a, you know, a second or third level party encounters on this and having to fight their second or third level friend. and oh shit, it was fate and fate's 15th level now. And oh my God, he just, like evil fate just cast limited wish. You know what I mean? Like, like it was, it scales really differently with difficulty if whoever now is infected is the, That's fair. is a duplicate of now you're having to fight that party member. Right. And as we've learned from the tournament of champions, <laughs> you never know how those fights are going to go. <sighs> so when the mirror breaks, what's the burst that it's casting? Is it casting phantasmal killer or is it casting contagion with the bloody uh, bloody eyes? I was saying I think it should cast the uh, whichever one of those spells stuns because they were both kind of stuns. That's the eye drip. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we got scry, break, mirror match, then eye bomb. I'm just trying to clarify for my own self because I think I'm confused. Are we doing both of those two spells or just one of those two spells on the activation of the thing? Because I thought it was a combination of the two where you get the one with a three round timer for the second one so for the cursed individual mm-hmm. the person who triggers the curse you get the first you get the eye bleed spell and then in three rounds you get the 5d10 psychic right i would argue that for the breaking the mirror to initiate the boss fight you only get the stun chance because otherwise man you could literally kill an entire party with this thing just starting the fight okay to me the eye you get the eye bleed with it i mean like let's not fucking neglect how bad a stunned condition yeah. is that's yeah, yeah, the yeah. fuck you condition. You're, you're not doing anything. You're getting auto crit. We've just unleashed. I imagine you guys get mirror Todd and half the party is stunned now. Yeah. And he can auto crit on a sneak attack right out the gate with his first move. That's pretty bad. That's that's pretty bad. I mean, we're talking a DC 15 saving throw, I think, for the uh, for the eye bleed effect. That's fair. I, I was just I was just trying to make sure I was understanding how we were going with it. And yeah, now that you explain it like that, yeah, that's that's real. I I just get worried about like doing the, like doing the phantasmal killer on the entire party plus the eye bleed because dude that just seems like yeah I, I I just put myself in my head of okay put let's put the party of five in that scenario as they currently stand oh yeah we're done <laughs> fuck if Baba's the one who gets affected by the mirror brr, we've already we've already we already know how that's gonna pan out I mean <laughs> according to the tournament champions fate would die to the slimy death so it's all good. So, uh, does this, no, it just doesn't, yeah, it doesn't do any damage for the bleed. Do we want to put a, like a 1d6 per round damage on the bleed just to add a little bit of extra fuck you or no? Nah. No, I think it's good. Okay. Okay. Cool. Then that gives us a pretty beefy cursed item that I think works, uh, both as a way to slip some danger into your character's lives, as well as potentially being a quest hook. I can think of a couple of different scenarios to slip that into. Promise not to use that against you guys for the record. I don't believe you. 
Mm-mm. No, I just, even though we probably at some point will do a, a supernatural role-playing game one-shot, because I have managed to track down the supernatural role-playing game rules after a lot of searching, it's extremely hard to find an original copy of that book. Even the author replied back like, yeah, dude, because it's from Margaret Weiss's defunct company. And I don't know if it was print on demand or what, but I spent a good portion of quarantine trying to find one of those. We'll do a supernatural one-shot at one point, but for as much weirdness as goes on, in ours, the one genre that I don't think I dip into with y'all's individual arcs is is horror because I just don't think it fits with our overall theme. And this is definitely a horror oriented item. So if you guys want to do a Strahd campaign at some point, I do think we should do either a, definitely a one shot or a mini campaign, just maybe two or three sessions in between after we get back from Moyle's arc, just to kind of give me a little breathing room to prep for Baba's arc. Also, I think it would be cool to hear one of you guys or even maybe your brother, Anthony, come on and, and DM kind of a short little run just to get a different DM voice in for kind of a little interlude. That's what NADPOD kind of did that a little bit with their, they had kind of a secondary campaign that they would interject an episode in every now and again, just to kind of break things up a little bit and to give me a little bit of breathing room from a prep standpoint. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Well, cool, guys. That will wrap up another episode of The Hunter's Party. Thank you for those of you that are joining us. This is what we'll continue to do uh, going forward. It won't always be a monster, but with next week, uh, I'm sorry, next episode being the uh, Shape Shifter episode, you can bet your ass you're probably getting a homebrew doppelganger. So (laughs) be prepared for that one. All right, guys. Thanks again for joining us. I appreciate uh, you guys making the time, Anthony and Jazz. And as always, our listeners, we appreciate it. And hope you enjoyed the show. 